Identity in Christ, as I've shared numerous times, um, I'm going to share again because um, I know we forget. And I put we in there, but really I mean you. Um, it's indicting. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that, that's really inappropriate. I'm so sorry. I mean, you just say something offensive and then you say, I, didn't, I don't mean to be offensive. And anytime anybody says that, just FYI, they're going to say and be offensive. Right? It doesn't make it any better. So, um, we are in, nonetheless, we are in this series that we have started um, several months ago. It's hard to believe, uh, brothers and sisters, that we are almost halfway through 2022. Um, we are coming up on June. It is, it is just flying past. Um, you know, I think the saying is that the days are long, but the years are short, right? And so, we are in this series that we are spending the bulk of this year really trying to root ourselves into what, or more importantly, who we are in Jesus Christ. And, and remember that this is incredibly important, because either way, we are going to be defined. We are going to find our identity in something or someone, either by, by intentionally doing it or passively doing it. It's going to, you know, we'll let it happen to us or we will pursue it ourselves. And for us, I think there is no better opportunity for us to be reminded of the fact that our identity in Christ is so crucial because it is Jesus who created us. It is Jesus who knows us. It is Jesus who loves us. And I cannot think of a better person by which to root my identity in and hopefully your identity in than in the one who created me, knows me, and still loves me. And so that's why we're going through this series. That's why we are looking at these identity statements. And by the way, when we, and by meaning we, the pastors here, we're putting the sermon series together. And by the way, we planned it out a year in advance. We had this planned last year that we were doing this this year. And so we had this planned out. There are more I am or identity statements in scripture than we could possibly do in a year. That's how important this is. There are more than 52 identity statements in Scripture. We could actually go on a second year, pretty much, just looking at identity statements. We won't, but we could. And I don't think that's by accident either in the Scriptures. I think the Scriptures are really wanting to root us in, in our identity in Jesus Christ, knowing full well of the implications of not doing that of not doing that, and how that can impact how we think about ourselves, and how we think about others, how we think about the world around us, and so it is incredibly crucial that we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, and so with that in mind, we're going to look at another identity or I am statement today, and that is I am Christ-like, or another way of saying that is I am like Christ. Now, that's a really important distinction to make. Notice what I am not saying. I am not saying I am Christ. Right? That would be cause for dismissal. And rightly so. Okay? That, if I came forward to you one day and said, I am Christ, one of two things are going to happen. Either you will dismiss me or we will become a cult. There's pretty much no other option there. It's pretty much one or the other. I hope you will choose the former and not the latter, if that ever happens, okay? Um, 
it's really important distinction because I think sometimes we can get, there can be some confusion and some awful things have happened when we have misunderstood this identity statement. When we have misunderstood the fact that we are not Christ, but we are like Christ. We are Christ-like. And in fact, this is, I believe, the entirety of the work of the Holy Spirit that is working in each and every one of us now is to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. In fact, I think that's what Paul is referring to when he writes in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will complete it. It is that Christ-likeness that when we are finally with Jesus, fully in his presence, we will know fully who we are in him. And it's going to be a beautiful beautiful, beautiful day when that happens. And, and so that's why I, I, I say this often, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say it again. Please do not worry where you will be. What if you're going to have a mansion in the sky? By the way, I, I shared at a funeral this past week about the fact, you know, Jesus goes prepare a room for us, all that kind of stuff. And we Americanized that passage, haven't we? And we, we come out and we say, oh, we're going to get a mansion. We're going to get a mansion. We're going to have a mansion in heaven. I'm going to sit in my hammock and just, Jesus, you're the best. You're the best. You're the best. And I'm just going to be swinging in my hand, hammock outside my big old mansion. In fact, there was a song in the 90s. There was a song. I, it was by an artist. I forget his name. Eli, I think, was the artist. But it was um, all about building um, uh, this big old house. And the amount of lumber you had was dependent upon what you did in the life here. I love that song until I thought about the theology of that song, right? I mean, we, we Ameri- let me just say this. Do not worry where you're going to live in heaven, or for that matter, ultimately on earth, because that's where I think we're ultimately going to be. Do not worry about that. Just know this. When we stand before Jesus in his presence, what will be so beautiful about that day is one of two things. One is we will not be judged because Jesus has covered his judgment, our judgment rather, He has taken the penalty that we deserve on himself. And secondly, we will know fully who we are in him. That is more beautiful to me than any place where I think that I'm going to be living. Here's the problem today. We're not there yet, are we? As far as I know, we're not there yet. Um, We're not there yet. And here's the problem. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. What I believe Paul is talking about there is, until that moment happens, we can only see dimly who we are in Jesus Christ. We can only see dimly because there are a lot of things that kind of cloud that mirror, that kind of fog up that mirror. Nonetheless, for instance, sin and a brokenness and the things we deal with in this world, they kind of cloud who we fully are and who we can fully see we are in Jesus Christ. And so every day, think about this, brothers and sisters, when we look in a mirror to get ready for the day, understand this, we do not fully see who we truly are in Jesus Christ. We only see aspects of it. We are constantly being told by others who we are. We are constantly having to deal with our own brokenness, never mind the brokenness of others and the brokenness of the world in and of itself. Never mind all of those dynamics. We are never fully yet totally realized who we are in Jesus Christ. We see things dimly. 
That's just how it is. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly frustrating. I want to see myself fully in Jesus right now. I want to know what that's like, and it's just not possible. It's just not possible. I can't even see all that well. I have glasses, right? I have astigmatism and a lazy eye. You can guess what the lazy eye is. I'm not going to point it out to you, okay? And, and, and when I was growing up, to deal with, there was, you know, for those of you who've ever had a lazy eye or known people who have lazy eyes, um, I, I had to wear a patch over my one eye. Almost gave it away there. Over my one eye so that the other eye could be strengthened. It was lazy. It didn't want to do its job, right? Just didn't want to do its job. So never mind the fact I have to deal with all of that stuff. I have my own issues that the fact my eyes aren't perfectly like 2020-ish. Talk about just the obstacles that we all face. And so that, that's why I think for us to understand this, that we are Christ-like is so important. And today I want us to look at one facet of what it means to be like Christ. It is a multifaceted statement. There are many ways that we are like Christ. Today I just want to look at one way. I think that's enough for us today. One way that we are like Christ. And the passage I want us to look at today is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. And I hope that as we look at these passages and these verses today, rather, that we're going to see some things that are, in my opinion, are quite relevant today, especially what we have been through in this country, in this world, and how that in many ways kind of has some bearing on our Christ-likeness. And so if you have your Bibles open, I want you to turn there to 2 Corinthians if you want. If you have it on your phone, go to your Bible app, whatever it is. But let's take a look at these passages because I think Paul really describes in one powerful way how we are like Christ. And so I'm going to start here with verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul writes the following. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Now, immediately that verse starts off with therefore, and we always ask ourselves, when, you know, if you see the word therefore, we ask what? What's it there for? The only way to answer that question fully is to go to the passage before it, and I'll summarize it for you. Essentially, what Paul is talking about is the fact that we have this gospel message that is never, ever going to die. It is never, ever going to be irrelevant. The gospel message is as relevant today as it was when Christ came on this earth. That will never, ever fade or never going away. The gospel is here to stay. It is eternal. It is life-giving. It is beautiful. It is, that is the gospel. And in that context, because Paul is going to make a contrast between the gospel and the law, the law being the Ten Commandments, he writes in verse 12, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Now let me just say this. Great boldness. Boldness is not, it's not prideful. It's not brash. It's not forceful. It's just rather confident. That we have this message that we know is beautiful and good and it's going to last and it's never going to be replaced with another message. And so, you know what, brothers and sisters, we ought to speak boldly of the gospel. Now, I realize not every single one of us here are evangelists. 
right? If I were to ask a show of hands, how many of you are evangelists? I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if a majority of us are not. I, I, I had a pastor I served under, and he made a great analogy of this, and I thought it still sticks with me today. There are, there are people, the best analogy I could figure out on this was what he shared, is that there are people who blast Caleb with the windows down out of their cars. They love the Christian music. They love blasting that worship music. They love, and they're singing at the top of their lungs, right? And they don't, they're at the intersection, and that's like an opportunity for them to share, to share with everybody else what they're blasting, right? And then there are others who have Caleb on, but they have the windows up, the volume turned down. They're kind of lip syncing to the music, right? Because, oh, I don't want to interfere with anybody. I don't want to interfere with other people listening to their music and all that kind of stuff. It's not being ashamed of it. It's just trying to be respectful. Not to say the other people aren't respectful, but it's just, there's a difference. There are people that you encounter that all of a sudden within a minute of the conversation, you could be talking about Tupperware and they're bringing Jesus in. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're working in somehow. Oh, you think this lasts. <laughs> Let me tell you what really lasts. <laughs> right? That's just off the cuff. Um, seriously, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, and then there are those like myself who are just not as gifted that way. I, I am, I am just jealous of people who can just bring in Jesus in any conversation and it's wonderful. And, and so I get that sometimes for us, um, it's not always, um, comfortable, but let me just say this, whether or not you believe it, brothers and sisters, we are always evangelizing. St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Whether or not you are verbally, openly sharing the gospel with someone, or you are not, either way, how we live, how we interact with each other, as well as with the people who may not know Jesus, with our coworkers, with our families, with our neighbors, etc., 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 we are always evangelizing. Whether or not you believe it, whether or not you want to accept it, whether or not you are comfortable with it, we are all evangelists. Period. We are all evangelists. Paul just says, be good with that. Be confident. Share boldly. We've got a really good message. And he goes on further and he says this, and we are not like Moses. Whoa, what? what? And again, we are not... Moses-like. We are Christ-like. It's okay. He says this, and we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was fading away. Now, here's what Paul was referencing. There was in Exodus chapter 34, and if you want to turn there real quick, um, Exodus chapter 34, there is a passage that we get a little sense of what Paul is referring to. Verses, starting with verse 29, it says this, And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he was speaking with him, that being God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to approach him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. And afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. 
Then Moses had finished speaking with them, and he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded. And the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face shown. So Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with him, that being God. That is what Paul is referring to here. Now, a couple of things. One, one particular thing that's really interesting. The Hebrew word for shown or shining that, that Moses experienced, really interesting. One is this. Whenever we encounter God, we should never leave the same way we came in. There ought to be a difference. We ought to glow. Moses didn't know that was happening to him. But it's interesting that I sometimes think of, my mind goes to movies. I'm sorry. There was a movie called Sky High. It was a superhero movie done by Disney, and it was a bunch of um, kids who had these superpowers, and they got to go to Sky High High School. And, they're, you know, and so you had to get decided if you were going to be a superhero or if you are going to be a sidekick. And it all depended upon your superhero powers. There was one kid who just glowed. That was his superpower. And so they're out in the sun, and he's trying to demonstrate his superpower. Of course, no one can see it. And he's trying to convince his, his teacher, no, no, cup your hands over your face and just look at my skin. See, it's glowing. It's glowing. It's like, seriously, that's your, that's your superpower? It's glowing? No, he gets to be a sidekick. The cool thing about the movie is at the end, the sidekicks are the ones who actually become the heroes. So it's a really cute movie. Anyways, um, my mind, sorry. Um, here's the thing. The Hebrew word for showing is karan. The Hebrew word for showing is karan. And it means the following. It means to shine, wear, possess. And here's the really interesting part, or wear horns. Let me say that again. Shine, wear, possess, or wear horns. Interesting, right? I had, to, I had to digest that for a second here, but there's some significance to this, I think, that we would be remiss if we didn't kind of delve into this just ever so briefly as to why this is important. It means to shine, wear, possess, or wear horns. Now, this was not lost on some people who created imageries of Moses. For instance, Michelangelo, and you can see this in Rome, created a sculpture of Moses. I want to show you a picture of this sculpture of Moses. And the picture that, of, of Moses that Michelangelo chose to do here, and I'm trying to delay this. Oh, there it is. At the top there of his head, he has two horns coming out of it. Michelangelo put two horns on Moses because Moses shined after being in God's presence. Let me show you another one. The altar of incense in the temple. Horns on the altar. In fact, there's two significant stories in the scriptures, and particularly in the Old Testament, when Solomon, one is Solomon's brother, when Solomon became king, after his older brother tried to become king and failed in that, he ran to the temple, or rather ran to the, uh, to the, um, the tent, um, the tabernacle, excuse me, I got it there. He ran to the tabernacle and grabbed hold of the horns to receive mercy. He received mercy. Solomon didn't kill him. Ah, Joab wasn't the next king who tried to do this, wasn't so successful. He grabbed onto the horns in the temple at that point, and they went in and killed him. Interesting that horns are the significance of God's presence or his shining, if you will. 
there's something else I want to share with you that perhaps has some application. I didn't put a picture of it, but I think it still is relevant, and that is of Satan. We sometimes depict the devil as what? Having horns, right? In fact, Paul later on in 2 Corinthians says that Satan appears as what? An angel of light. Angel of light. And so it is incredibly significant that the Hebrew word for the shining or to shine or has shown as Moses was can also mean the wearing of horns. And we see that throughout this idea of the temple and the altar and the horns around there. And we even see that in the depiction of Satan who comes as an angel of light. It kind of makes you look at that whole imagery maybe in a little bit different context, doesn't it? That perhaps Satan with horns is not so far-fetched because he comes as an angel of light, shining what we think is the presence of God, but really it is not. That's the context in which Paul is sharing about Moses. Now here's the really interesting secondly about Moses and his shining skin is that Moses would put the veil on not at the beginning when he first came out meeting with God, but he would put it on later when the shine was beginning to fade. That's when he would put it on. In other words, he wanted the people of Israel to see the fact that he had been in God's presence because that carried with it, for instance, authority. That carried with it the fact that, yes, God said this to me. That carried with it weight that Moses needed. But when that shine began to fade, he would put the veil on. He didn't want the people of Israel to know that this is only temporary. The shine is only temporary. And so it's really significant here that Paul is now contrasting what Moses stood for and what Jesus stood for. And he goes on and he says this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. He says, But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. I think that's true for us. Do you know what it means or what can it look like to not be like Christ? It can possibly look like two big things. One is where we believe and we delude ourselves into believing that we have fulfilled the law in everything that it requires. Think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, obey the laws. I have done that. You're delusional. So then Jesus cuts to the heart of it. Okay, you may have obeyed the letter of the law, but let's get to the spirit of the law. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Oh no, I can't do that. Delusional. We think that we are so good that we have done such good on this earth, that we, are, that we have done everything in accordance to what God has wanted, that what we have done is we have deluded ourselves and we have veiled ourselves as a result of that. That's one way. Here's a second way that maybe we have put the veil over us and our hearts are veiled to what Paul is trying to say here. And that is, we have just said, you know what, I'm not even going to attempt to follow God. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to be disobedient. Forget it. I'm not even going to do it. I'm done. I'm out. So two big ways that we ourselves even have the veil over us. One is we delude ourselves into thinking that we've done everything that God wants us to do or 
we are just blatantly disobedient. We are just blatantly disobedient. That's what Paul is trying to show here. He's trying to say, man, this is what's going on. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Charles Spurgeon says this, there is nothing that will keep a person from Christ like a good opinion of himself. I'm good. I'm good. I've done everything. I'm such a good guy. Look what I did today. The people I helped. People I got to serve. All that kind of stuff. Or it's the opposite. Forget it. I'm not even going to try. That's how we can not be like Christ. Is if we delude ourselves or if we are disobedient. Here's how we can be like Christ. One powerful thing. Paul says it here. And he says it here in verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Not to the law, but to the Lord. The veil is taken away. And he goes on and he says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Guess what? You don't have to delude yourself anymore. I'm not good enough. You don't have to try to impress God by saying, God, look what I have done. Look at all the great things I have done. You can stop with that. And you don't have to live under the weight of your disobedience. Just saying, God, I'm just not even going to try. Because where the Spirit is, there is freedom. There's absolute freedom. And he goes on and he says this, But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, one big way that we become like Christ is to actually turn to Christ. There's a mind bender for you. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters, what I love about the gospel isn't its complexity, it's its simplicity. The gospel can be understood by anyone. I don't know who said this, but essentially the person said, and I love this, the gospel is shallow enough for a child to play in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. I love that. I love that. The gospel is all those things because everyone can understand it. Everyone can understand what the gospel is saying. And when we turn towards Jesus, there's a few things we realize. First of all, God is personal. We realize that I'm alive because Jesus is alive. And I also realize that love matters more than the law. Love matters more than the law. That's this kind of stuff we begin to realize when we turn towards Jesus. We can become like Jesus, and in becoming like Jesus, we are made alive in him. We know that now love trumps the law, and we realize that God all along was never about ultimately stone tablets with words carved into it, but rather was all about wanting to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us. That's what we realize. It wasn't about checking off boxes and making sure, did you do this correctly? Did you do that correctly? It was all about saying, I want you to be with me. And I want you to be like 
me. That's what this was all about. That's what this was all about. That's when we realize that, we begin to remove the veil. And we can stop pretending. We can stop being disobedient. We can stop deluding ourselves and finally embrace Jesus who all along wanted us to be with him and wanted us to be more and more like him. That is what it takes. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. But let me say this. Even us as Christians, there are times I think when we run the risk of putting the veil back on. Galatians chapter 5 verses 18 through 21 says this but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are sexual immorality impurity indecent behavior idolatry witchcraft hostilities strife jealousy outbursts of anger selfish ambition dissensions fra- uh, factions envy drunkenness carousing anger selfish ambition uh, I already read that um, and the things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God Did you catch what Paul said at the end of this chapter here in 3? He says this, that we are being transformed, not that we have been transformed. It is a process. Even as Christ followers, we know that Christians still struggle with some of these things. When we struggle with these things, when we allow ourselves to be caught by these things, we all of a sudden begin to put that veil back on, and the glory of God begins to now not be fully seen by those around us. Do you know what else? we begin to put that veil back on is when we allow our politics to direct our faith. I heard a pastor last week talk about that no Christian would vote Democrat. Really? I don't know. I don't know where Jesus says that in the Bible. He did ride in on a donkey, though. Really? That's when we begin to let the, the light of Christ fade. We begin to let our, I don't care if you vote Democrat or Republican. I don't care. Neither does Jesus. We begin to say our, our politics now begin to direct our faith rather than the other way around. The veil goes on. When we begin to allow our own biases, our own prejudices, our own opinions, our own selfish beliefs to take over and direct our faith rather than the other way around, the veil goes on. The veil goes on. And we know how about how much we love to wear masks, right? We wear them all the time. We just may not realize it. When we allow our emotions and our 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 sinful selves to come forward as Paul wrote in Galatians 5, all of a sudden now that veil gets put over us and the glory of Jesus becomes ever so dimmer to those around us. We run that risk. We run that risk. When all of a sudden now we allow hate and we allow anger and we allow all of those in violence to overtake us. And we believe that in some ways that's the answer to the problems we have in this country and beyond. 
the veil of goes over us. And that glory becomes a little bit less illuminated. Does that make sense? You don't have to agree with me. You can be angry with me. I, I understand. It's okay. I struggle with this just as much as anyone else. I don't like wearing masks. I got to tell you, when I flew to Florida several weeks ago, I flew from Tucson to Dallas, had to wear a mask, get to the Dallas airport, and just like that, I see people walking around with no mask. I'm going, what's going on? Is there a mask protest I'm not a part of? What's going on? Are people, I finally had it. And all of a sudden I look on, on, on the news and they have lifted the mask mandate. I get on the flight headed to Florida and I'll never forget what the flight attendant said on that flight. She said, this is life changing to be able to finally take this thing off. Oh, talk about an opportunity to evangelize. You want to know about life changing? Oh, I got a life change for you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, take the mask off. We will struggle with this constantly, but I want to encourage you, take the mask off. Let the glory of Jesus shine. And how other people will respond to that, that's their problem. That's their response. We can't control the response. We can only control how we share. Let us share boldly. Not offensively not brashly, not disrespectfully. Let us share boldly and let the glory of Jesus shine through us. We cannot help but be in his presence even right now and walk out of these doors and hopefully, hey, you're glowing today. You're glowing today. It's beautiful. That's my encouragement to you. For others, let me just say this. Jesus said the following. Turn to him. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of you are tired today? How many of you are burdened today? You're carrying a lot. You are carrying a lot. And he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is is light. That's my hope and prayer for all of us today. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, sometimes, and I admit it, I am just, I have done it myself, Father, and I wouldn't be surprised if others have as well, that I have allowed other things, my own feelings, my own thoughts, my own sins, the weight of what we have had to shoulder in the past couple of years, Come in and cloud out and veil the glory that I know is on me because I've been in your presence, Jesus. And it may have hampered others from seeing who you truly are. I am so sorry. I pray, Jesus, help to lift these burdens off not only me, but every single one of us here today. Help us to turn to you if we haven't done so. And if we have, help us to keep that veil off. May your glory that you have passed on to us, that we have received from just being in your presence, Jesus, shine brightly to those around us, those who may know you and those, Father, who may not. And Father, I pray above all that you would receive the glory. And more than that, that others would want to have their identity in you. Jesus, have your way with us. 
It's in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.